Kia ora, I'm Anne O'Brien, Director of the Auckland Writers' Festival, and you're listening to the session podcast Tightrope from our 2018 programme. The launch of Selena Tusitala Marsh's third poetry collection, Tightrope, long-listed for the Ockham New Zealand Book Awards, coincided with her taking up the mantle of Poet Laureate, a wonderful opportunity to extend the poetic page and stage to this nation's multicoloured, multi-hued voices, she said. An extraordinary poet, performer and advocate, Marsha's work combines a warrior fierceness with humour and explores the delicate and dangerous ways in which we navigate the abyss of forgotten memory. She speaks with Adam Dudding. We hope you enjoy it. Please welcome Selena Tusitala Marsh. Thank you. I'm well, clapping myself. No, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. I'm clapping that you all made it here this afternoon on a Friday afternoon. So yeah. thank you. Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll get to Obama and the Queen eventually. Um, but the session is called Tightrope. Uh, so I want to start by asking you a little bit about some of the poems. And as discussed, could mm. you, could we jump right in to page 32? Mm. Explanation of poetry to my immigrant mother. Sure, sure. Well, but, and before that, I'd yeah. just like to read out the quote by Moalai Vau Albert Went, who um, is one of my mentors. He mentored me crea- uh, critically and creatively. And you know how you read some lines and they just refuse to let you go? Well, this line was published in 1988 as part of a larger um, essay on Pacific history. And he writes, and I've used it in the front of my um, collection, we are what we remember. The self is a trick of memory. History is the remembered tightrope that stretches across the abyss of all that we have forgotten. I know. I know. (laughs) And sometimes I know what it means, And other times I don't. And that's what I love about it. And that's the beauty and the power of language and of poetry. And so I've named this tightrope and it's divided into three sections, abyss, trick, and tightrope. And so the poem that you've asked me to read so, you know, people get a bit of background about me is from the section labelled... Abyss, 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 abyss. It feels very odd to sit down and um, my um, close friend Tusiata Avia insisted I not wear my sneakers, so I am wearing heels. I just, (laughs) yeah. Um, And hence the manicure pedicure about 35 minutes ago. All right, thank you. (laughs) Explanation of poetry to my immigrant mother for Glenn. And I'm referencing Glenn Calhoun because he has um, a poem with a similar theme and I totally ripped him off and then made it my own. But this is what you can do too. It's called the mimic exercise. And it's like one of the basic exercises that I, I, I share with my creative writing students. If a poem grabs you, then steal it and invade it with your own language and with your life experiences. And then suddenly, magically, it becomes your own. But we still like artists, right? And we acknowledge where we, that source. So thank you, Glenn. Ma, 
Ma, sometimes are poems like The Dawn Raids, 2 a.m. door pounding, blue uniformed belligerents checking under beds in closets for illegal rhythms overstaying rhymes. Even cupboards are cleared for evidence. An extra pair of adjectives might give away the real number of lines living in this poem. Or ma, ma are poems like learning English from Stefano de Mira and Marlena as their days become our days, like sands through the hourglass, language staged in the click of tongue, cock of brow. Or like when Selwyn Toogood yells, is it the money or the bag? And the poem every time chooses the bag, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. Or the poems like the flea market at Avondale Racecourse, car boot mouths gaping, orange paisley silk, ochre wool slung over the side, waiting to be inhaled by the wind's throat. Or ma, ma, the poems like the lucky, the kid's lucky dip bin, love, grief, rage, wrapped in headlines, bow-tied with rippling alliteration, guesses up for grabs. Or ma, a poems like one of those government schemes set up by Paddy Walker in the 50s. Someone had wrapped wood in the Sunday news and lit a fire in the oven. So they ran classes about how to set the poem's knobs, how to ignite its hob, how the poem's mouth begins to roast the day's meat or how the poem is a passport, can transit the likeness of you from New Lynn to New Tao, fending off heat and mosquitoes, how its sound and image, its push and pull, can launch you across lined waters, where in another country you find yourself home. <laughs> I kind of love the idea of the, um, the fire in the oven and uh, Patty Walker. Well, that was wonderful because at the, um, the cultural heart of the uh, New Zealand Poet Laureate ceremony um, takes place at Matahiwi Marae in Hawke's Bay. And I did the um, traditional poets night out live reading. And who should be in that audience but Patty Walker's daughter? tears streaming down her eyes and um, she said thank you for honoring my mother and her memory and what she did for our people mm -hmm. and so that was that was magical for me yeah that was cool bit of a history lesson in there um so you can never take poems too literally but the fact that this poem needed to be written um what did your mother know of poetry and more particularly what did your mother make of you being a poet in the end well, there, there's a story that I tell, um, which kind of, you know, it, it's a tender story for me. But I remember 
Um, first tutoring at the University of Auckland. I just finished my doctorate. It was 19. It was uh, 2005, and I got off the bus from the city to Avondale. We live on Blockhouse Bay, and I went uh, up to my home where I'd lived most of my life since I was two, and it was one of the original villas um, in Avondale, and it had a huge heavy door. And what was she propping the front door open with but my PhD thesis? At last use. So, I think that mum had a special appreciation. <laughs> I mean, That's concrete poetry, isn't I it? I mean, one of my childhood friends and her sister is here, Shanita and Rosina, and they know mum. And mum was poetic in all ways but the literate way. I mean, she didn't speak English before she um, moved here um, from Samoa. Mum and Dad's courtship was negotiated by a younger sibling. Uh -huh. And that was because she had to leave school in the primers and work so that her younger siblings could afford, could pay the school fees. So I honour her sacrifice. And we didn't grow up with many books, but the books we did have managed to prop open our front door. Yeah. Good, good. Uh, you've said that uh, you didn't encounter any Pacifica writers when you were younger, and some interview I saw. Um, so when did you first find one? And was it Albert Went? It was Albert Went, right. and yeah. it was at university, and it was oh, at stage so not even at school. two. No, oh. not at school. Not oh. at school at all. Um, and you know, we, I grew up in Avondale, which is a multicultural area, and you don't even see your cultural identity until you get pulled out of that. And I became kind of politicised at university because I saw the brown faces slowly fading away the higher, the higher I got at uni, and I thought, well, why is this? So it was in um, Michael Neal and Sebastian Black's New Zealand literature class where they introduced me to Albert Wendt, and then I meet Albert Went himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you sort of started talking about how, how closely this book is, is built around that quote, but there's, um, well, there's a thing I was noticing yesterday that, that, that the quote, one version of the quote comes from Black Rainbow, and this is black with a rainbow on the front, and you've named all the sections after it, and then there's all these tightrope poems. Um, how long, over what time frame did you write it? Because I, I got the feeling reading it that you wrote it as a thing rather than just writing a quantum of poems and, and printing them? I think that's always a mixture because you're always writing. So about half these poems were written from uh, since the last collection. And the other half are poems that have been circulating for a while, like the homage to Sam Hunt, Orange yep. Crown, Stick Figure Man, yep. you know, which is one of my favourites. That finally found a place in this collection. It didn't belong in the last collection. So, you know, I think that books call, like poetry collections call poems to them. And it would be a mistake to jam in what you've written in the last four years to make a book, for me. You know, they have to resonate and echo off each other. And, you know, it is a bit of a tightrope itself in kind of curating a collection, you know, gathering the children together and seeing who plays nicely and, and also who doesn't and which poems kind of have to fight, um, like have a spark between them. So yeah. that's, that's, that's kind of how Tightrope came together. Makes sense. Um, one of the ways in which you reference 
Albert Wendt is uh, with these blackout poems mm -hmm. from Pu'uli Uli. Mm. Um, and I just thought that the, I can hold them up. You can probably even read them from here almost. They look like this, like that. And so you start with the text and uh, look for the words that you like and get rid of all the rest of them, yeah. as far as I can tell. I quite like the way someone else described blackout poetry as being, it's sort of like if the CIA did haiku. Um, <laughs> but this was uh, some poet called Austin, or artist called Austin Cleon said that, yeah. so that's, thank you, Google. Um, but, so I, just, I really just wanted you to, to talk a little bit about what you were up to there. Why did you start yeah. with Pa'uli Uli? Um, what's the point of it? Um, and why did you cross out so very many words? And, <laughs> and is it fun? Because it looks fun. <laughs> it is fun. It is fun. It's, this is my way of paying it forward. Because Indigenous people know in their bones that we face the future with our backs. And... We aren't just here as individuals. We're here standing on the shoulders of every poet, every family member, every ancestor that's come before us. And I wanted to um, pay homage to Albert and his work, but I also wanted to negotiate my own way through his writing. Because while it was wonderful that there was a Samoan forefather of Pacific literature, I missed out on learning about the four mothers of Pacific literature. And this became my mission for my PhD work, to find out where these women were. And lo and behold, they'd been publishing poems and soul collections of poetry since 1974. Who would know? And so, you know, these blackout poems were, um, I was just experimenting with how do I inhabit and beautify what Samoans called the va, or the interrelational space between two people, two groups of people, um, between people and the, the, the environment. And this was one way to do it. So for example, on page um, Blackout Palm 39, which I've taken from page 39, from a first edition copy of Albert's novel Pu'uli'uli, which means darkness in Samoan, right? It calls, the work calls you to it. And I, I remember thinking this book would be perfect to apply a blackout technique. But then I thought, I don't, this is my only first edition copy and it's signed by Al and I didn't want to ruin it. Is it worth less or more now that you've done that to it? What do you think? I don't know, probably less. <laughs> <laughs> probably less. But three days later, a colleague says to me, hey, I've got a dozen copies of a book by Albert Wynn. I'm no longer using them for my foundation course. Do you want them? And I said, what's the book? And she said, oh, Pauli Loli. Pauli Loli, yes. So these kind of came my way and I started experimenting. These and so pulling out really lines like, for example, Blackout, page 39, Alofa, the only trustworthy promise. And alofa means love. Yeah. And nice. I, you know, coming from being like a fast talker and jamming people with my language, this was wonderful. It gave me pause and breath and others. Stories cure the incurable. Don't they? Yeah. 
Um, but can I? Yeah, you go, 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 go. I knew that can I wouldn't I need a lot of questions for Slim. No, well, well um, <laughs> last week, last week I had a chapter on blacking out Albert Wentz poems um, accepted for publication in a um, Bloomsbury academic publishing house. I've got a chapter in um, a book on modernist literature. And there I propose a way of beautifying the var or the space between me as a second generation Pacifica poet scholar who is female and Albert, first generation Pacifica male writer. And um, Pa'uli Uli was also slammed for being misogynistic. It was published in 79. It is a story of its times. And a wonderful Indo-Fijian critic called Arlene Griffin um, uh, included it in her master's thesis and looked at these first-generation male indigenous authors who had written extremely sexist stories. And Albert and Arlene, you know, needless to say, they weren't great friends. <laughs> and as Albert's mentee and as a Pacifica feminist, I was stuck in this really uncomfortable place. Like, I don't want to condone misogyny and I don't want to um, um, kind of break this relationship that I have with my mentee. How do I negotiate this space? Well, I turn to poetry and I turn to creativity. So what I've done is I've, these poems in Tightrope are part of a larger, like I blacked out the whole book. And what I've done is I've taken pages uh, where, for example, a woman, a wife, would be commanded to go to the kitchen and she'd go snivelling off like a dog to the kitchen. And I've taken that page and I've made women's voices rise to the surface out of the blackness. So there are poems like, she speak, she centre, she is the var. And so creatively, I've managed to both critique that text and also make something and build upon Albert's whole history of making stuff. What does he make of, it, make of the poems? He asked me why. <laughs> <laughs> when I, I went to lunch with him and Rainer and I said, this is what I'd like to do. Is it okay? Do I have your permission? Um, I'm, and, you know, I don't want to be censored by you, but I'd like to do this. And he said, why? And then he said, well, you know, thank you for asking my permission <laughs> and we'll see what happens. So. Yeah. And that was the last conversation. So. And I'm, I've, I'm about to send him the proof of the chapter that's been published. Oh, okay. Um, one of the things that struck me about them, I mean, they are, you know, compared to your fast talking and uh, more lyrical things, um, they are short and sweet and, you know, easy, easy to understand. Well, these ones, I think, easy to understand, at least on one level, you know. Be afraid of nothing. No this is... Uh, Poem number 115. Be afraid of nothing and nobody. Be a slave to love, which is very nice. Um, also... Very nice. <laughs> I always aim to be nice. <laughs> well, that's where I was sort of going. You're very short I, and sweet too. <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I reckon you could just about get them on Instagram. Um, <laughs> because it's visual. 
And people are quite rude about Insta poetry, and other people mm. say it's saving poetry. Do you, um, do you know or care? You know, but do you care about that conversation? And you know, do you sit anywhere in particular on it? And do you even buy the premise of where I started, which is comparing your blackout poems to Insta poetry? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And nestled in Tusitala is the word ala, the proto-Polynesian word for pathway. So if poems can bridge people and connect, that ticks my box. That's all it needs to do for me. I mean, there's a certain context where they're valued and they're judged, and I try and subvert those kind of contexts. Um, for example, I was the judge of the best New Zealand poems for 2017. Um, with the International Institute of Modern Letters for, for them, and it's online. And I really, you know, I, I um, in judging, I said, why should one person hold all the lollies? And I gave out poems to people who are non-poetry readers, like my fellow trail runners and, you know, the bus, the, the, the bus driver and freight forwarders. You know, and I gave them a whole pile and said, do any of these appeal to you? Because they, 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 none, of, none of them made my 25, but the ones that they selected, I had another look at again, mm -hmm. and I ended up including some of them. So to answer your question in a very roundabout way, yeah. <laughs> um, poetry in any form and all forms are, are fantastic. We, to quote... Barack Obama, yes. we need more poetry. Okay. Yeah. <coughs> we are going to get to him eventually. Um, just what you were saying about uh, having a, a summit meeting between the um, Pacifica feminist and, and, and the um, patriarchal writer and sitting in the middle and finding the, the accommodation. Um, I wonder if there's any parallel between that and what you've done with the, the 2016 Commonwealth poem. So, you can introduce it much better than me, so I'll, I'll leave you to, to, to background mm. it and explain everything. But basically, um, you have critiqued colonialism, you know, reasonably uh, directly and strongly. Um, but when the Queen came calling and said, can you write a poem, please, saying that the Commonwealth's awesome, um, <laughs> you, you did. And I was just wondering, A, whether you got any stick from perhaps, I don't know, your anti-colonial friends or the anti-colonial part of yourself, um, and whether there was any issue there. But mm. give us the background first and, and then, then tell us whether you um, sweated over, you know, going into the belly of the beast of colonialism and hanging out at Westminster Abbey with the Queen. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're so so you've moved on from kind of trying to be this bridge between Pacific feminism and the forefather of Pacific yeah. literature, which was a conversation that happened in '88. So mm -hmm. you know, and since then, Albert has written from the uh, point of view of a woman in his novel Orla and done mm -hmm. some um, you know amazing things, and has grown as we all grow. Um, to kind of finding myself in this odd area of, um, you know, with, with, with a mother who came from a, um, a former colony of the British Empire. Um, One colony that New Zealand's had the, had the sort of the privilege and honour of being a terrible colonialist. That's right, directly, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. You guys um, administered Actually us. Actually killed colonial. people. Yeah, so. yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but nevertheless, I wanted to invite you to talk to me yeah. today, uh, Adam. <laughs> Here I am. Um, in the spirit of being a bridge, yeah. Excellent. 
And the whole height thing too, I like that. Tall, short. If I had my heels, would be fine. <laughs> um, so, so when the news came out, like, so when the commission came and I was invited to be the Commonwealth Poet for 2016, which I jumped up and down and said, wow, wow, why me? How did I come to be asked this? And I traced it back to two years prior, um, a little performance I did in St. Lucia. And so Adam and I were at the back there and I said, what if, what if there's just 12 people there? And he goes, yeah, what if? And I said, well, actually, it's all about quality, not quantity, <laughs> because at St. Lucia, like I performed in front of, say, well, I was expecting about 250 people and there are about 12 people there. And, and you know, I gave the performance of my life and Professor Jeff Davis was one of those 12 people who never forgot the performance and who had proffered my name when there was a discussion about who they could get to represent Oceania, including New Zealand and Australia, um, to be the Commonwealth poet. And he said, you must get this poet. And so that commission came and I said, yes, yes, yes. And then they said, but, but <laughs> there were five things that I had to keep in mind obey, I think they wanted to say. Um, there were five rules, and I've told this story um, all ever since I came back from Westminster Abbey, actually, yeah. but, you know, but... but I can hear it again, that's but, fine. But, <laughs> so they gave me the rules, but when, when it was announced that, um, that I was uh, doing this commission, I had a fellow colleague of mine, um, a fellow Pacific colleague of mine, jokingly call me a sellout. And I was really hurt <laughs> um, because, you know, um, I don't like it when people say mean things. And he was joking, but I'm not, not joking, short, anyway. you know. <laughs> <laughs> he was joking, but not joking, because the point he raised is that, you know, what are you doing performing in the belly of the beast? But I thought, you know, I'd, um, I kind of... Um, talked to a fellow colleague who said that's, that's really rich coming from someone who'd taken up a Rhodes Scholarship, was at Oxford for the last <laughs> six years, and you know, who really is suckling at the, at the teat of the British Empire, not you, you're just there for one day. <laughs> so, um, but the five rules were that uh, it had to be called unity, because the Queen sets a theme every year and has done since 19, the late 1950s, for Commonwealth Observance Day, which happens on every second Tuesday of every March since the 1950s. So it had to be called Unity. It had to um, appeal to school children, nine-year-olds and 94-year-olds. The Duke of Edinburgh was turning 94 that year. <laughs> there would be a 1,000 school children from across the UK packed into Westminster Abbey. Um, and of course, it had to appeal to the various dignitaries there, the monarchy. So it was a huge scope, nine-year-olds nine to 94-year-olds. I thought, sweet, I do school outreach, I love nine-year-olds. Um, okay with 94-year-olds, <laughs> until I met, met the Duke. Um, <laughs> um, rule number three is that I had to somehow represent all 53 member nations of the Commonwealth. And I thought, that's cool, because I love acrostic poetry. I'll just begin each line with the letter beginning with each country rep being represented. Mm, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, then I was told that it had to be under three minutes long because BBC <laughs> were filming it live. And I thought, you know what, make me jump through all the hoops you want. This is a global platform. This is where I can represent Oceania, the Pacific, Aotearoa, New Zealand, Samoa, Tuvalu especially, and especially the issue of global climate change, change and rising sea levels on my grandfather's island of Tuvalu. And then they said, and it wasn't allowed to be political. <laughs> and the whole poem would be subject to palace censorship, so I had to have it ready two months before the event so that they could run it through all their approvers. To their credit, or perhaps to mine, <laughs> they changed nothing. Good. So I'm going to perform it for you now. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Why not? Why not? So I'm, I'm, they, they show me to the top of this aquarium steps in West, Westminster Abbey. The and what I steps? see Westminster, uh, the Sacrarium oh, steps. Oh, it's, it's where aquarium steps. <laughs> no, it's, it's where royalty are coronated. And, oh, you know, cool. it's where Harry and Meghan will like go down on their knees and get Next married step. formally, and where pe pe people are knighted. And yeah, it's cool. a, quite a sacred historical space. And I see April because they said to me, Oh, you've got a ticket. You've got, you know, you can invite anyone you want. And so I said, of course, to my husband, Dave, I said, we're going to Westminster Abbey. And he said, <laughs> no, nah, it's okay, thanks. <laughs> I shouldn't have been surprised because I was invited to a charity event with Prince Charles with a ticket. I said to Dave, we're going to meet Prince Charles. He went, pants can't fit, no, nah, it's okay. <laughs> Keeps me humble, that man. Love that man, eh, Raina? Love my man. Loyal. So there's April. And so I said, who do I know in England? Oh, it's April. April, who was studying. So April came with me in her bright red coat. It was beautiful. So um, I'm, sta I'm standing at the, at the top of the stairs, and um, I am wearing electric blue, a pulatasi from a Samoan fashion house. And out of a sea of beige and black, the only other person wearing blue is <laughs> Her Majesty. <laughs> and she is seated where you are. And I said, do you want to raise your hand, Her Majesty? You? Yeah, yeah, there she is, right there. Duke of Edinburgh sitting next to her, and then um, Wills and Kate and Harry and Andrew, who is an odd person, I must say. <laughs> And lots of amazing other people in the room. <laughs> unity. Let's talk about unity. Here in London's Westminster Abbey. Did you know there's a London in Kiribati? Ocean Island, South Pacific Sea. We're connected by currents of humanity alliances, allegiances, colonial histories. For the salt in the sea, like the salt in our blood, like the dust in our bones, our final return to mud 
means though 53 flags fly for our countries. They're stitched from the fabric of our unity. It's called the Va in Samoan philosophy. What you do affects me. What we do affects the land, sea, wildlife. Take the honeybee, nature's model of unity, pollinating from flower to seed. Bees thrive in hives, keeping their queen. And at this point, I look down. <laughs> Her Majesty looks up. <laughs> Unity keeps them alive, keeps them buzzing. They're key to our fruit and veggie supplies, but parasitic attacks and pesticides threaten the bee, then you then me, it's all connected. That's unity. There's a you and an I in unity. Cost the earth and yet it's free. My granddad's from Tuvalu. And to be specific, it's plop bang in the middle of the South Pacific. The smallest of our 53 Commonwealth nations, the largest in terms of reading vast constellations, my ancestors guided from sky and sea trails. And way before Columbus even hoisted his sails, what we do now matters to those who go before. We face the future with our backs, sailing shore to shore, for we're earning and saving for a common wealth, a common strong body, a common good health. Means saving the ocean, means saving the bee, means London and the UK, seeing London in the South Seas, and sharing our thoughts over a cup of tea. <laughs> There's a you and an I in unity. Costs the earth, and yet it's free. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Have you considered Have you considered going to the other London, the one in Kiribati, and, yes. and telling the same, giving well, the poem? I'm, I'm going to Tuvalu for the first time later on this year. Oh, you've not been yeah. to Tuvalu. Visit the whānau. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and how do you say, it's, I saw it spelled ronton. Yes. So uh, do you know how it's said in Kiribati? Is it, is it said ronton. ronton? I believe so. Anyway, anyway. Um, can I do an interactive thing with the audience? Sure. Which is a leading question, sure. isn't it? <laughs> so, well, one of the stories I like to tell is that we're in this Commonwealth observance space. There are 53 flags hoisted down the aisle of Westminster Abbey. The theme is unity. And I'm seated front row, diagonally opposite where 
the monarchy would be shown in, the royal family would be shown in. They hadn't yet been seated, and there are two seats next to me. And a verger comes in and shows an elderly gentleman and his wife the two seats. And so I let them get settled down. And then I do what any Kiwi would do. I turn to them and I say, Hi, I'm Selena, the poet from New Zealand. And the elderly gentleman looks at me, and he looks down at my hand, and he looks straight ahead and says, yes. Maybe he had sore hands. I just, you know, and it's like, really? Really, do you know where you are, or are you here to be seen? And I look straight across to where he's kind of staring in space, and four rows deep is Sir Lockwood Smith and Lady Alexandra Smith, who are my London whānau when I go to London, well, they used to be when they were High Commissioner. And Lady Alexandra's looking at me, and she's wearing one of those fancy things, and it's quivering, and she's like... <laughs> <sighs> so I'm like, I'm like, it's okay. Because <laughs> I love your mum. <laughs> you can never take the school counsellor out of the woman, right? Um, and so I, you know, wherever I've gone in the world, I come across this proverb and it translates into English as never piss off a poet. And so there's a poem after this, the Grand Unity poem. And um, so do we all know the nursery rhyme, Pussycat, Pussycat, Where Have You Been? Yes. So I'd just like to do that with you and include you in it. Just the beginning part. So you, you, you ask me, Pussycat, Pussycat, Where Have You Been? And then I answer. Uh, and then you ask me again, Pussycat, Pussycat, What Did You Hear? Okay, so we're just going to do four lines. Okay. It's called Pussycat. I've been to London to visit the Queen. I frightened the Western world with my big hair. <laughs> oh God, that works quite well as a four-line version. I like that. Um, well, this goes quite uh, elegantly between royals and um, and this thing here, yeah. but. Um, have you started on your Meghan and Harry royal poem yet? You know, it's is, is so that, funny. Is that one of your duties? I mean, we are part, she is our queen, <laughs> so I guess they are our royals. So, I mean, what does a poet laureate I, do I'm anyway? I'm playing cat and mouse with some journalists who are convinced <laughs> that I'm writing the wedding poem for these two. So, <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh, but I shame. am penning a poem for Jacinda's baby. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> Did we hear that here first, or no, have you already announced no, this in nine other no, forums? No, that's premature, Adam. That's bad luck. Because I could text my news editor. <laughs> no. Anyway. Um, so, you are the Poet Laureate, and I bet you I don't really even need to ask you a question, apart from just saying, Selena, talk about being Poet Laureate and stuff. Um, oh, yeah, you did say once you wanted to have a flint in this tokotoko, so you could make literal sparks fly. Um, and I believe that this was made for you. So tell us about the Toka Toka. Okay, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So the Poet Laureate Award um, was birthed in 1996 by Timata Estate, uh, owner, 
I want to say John Scott, no? Buck, John Buck, the gorgeous John Buck and his son Toby now looks after it too. So they made the award happen and then in 2011 when Michelle Leggett became Poet Laureate, National Library um, took over its administration. There's Chris C.K. sitting right there at the side. Um, and with the award um, comes some very helpful money but also each poet laureate gets their own talk or talk or carved for them by Homoana Kava Jacob Scott, who uh, belongs to Matahiwi Marae. This is in the Hawke's Bay. And so there is a formal ceremony at the National Library. And then nine months later, no coincidence, because that's how long it took for my talk or talk or to be birthed. Um, why is that turning red? Oh, no. um, okay. Because All we're right. into the, we're into the okay. good bit. That's a rhetorical question. <laughs> you don't have to answer. <laughs> um, nine months later, I was presented with the Tusitala Toko Toko. And um, Jacob and I had talked and met several times to discuss what my one might look like. And of course, I had said to him, not not being a micromanager or anything, but I said to him, can I give you stuff to, you know, <laughs> kind of carve into? He said, whatever comes your way and things will come your way. And um, I went to Samoa and visited His Highness Tuia Tua Tapua Tamasese, um, our, who, who was head of state and who holds one of four um, kingly titles. And in Samoa, the toko toko, or the to'o to'o, comes with a fuwe, or the orator's fly whisk. And so when a talking chief in Samoa or a tulafale speaks, this is how they speak. And they punctuate their speech with mm -hmm. this beautiful whisking of the ear. And so I said to His Highness, so what does the, what does the fuwe do? What's it for? And he said, well, it's, it's to shoo away the flies. <laughs> I like, yeah, yeah, but, but, but really, Tupo, what's it for? And he said, no, no, it's to shoo away the flies. <laughs> you are speaking in Samoa, there are a lot of flies. And he said, but flies are auto, also a metaphor for ill intent or ill feeling towards the message that is trying to be communicated by the Tula Fale or the talking chief on behalf of the chief who ideally has the good of the village um, in mind when he's delivering his message. And so then Tui Atua said, I'm, I want to gift you one of my many fuwe. And so he gave this to me in Samoa. It was just amazing for me to receive this, and it was even more amazing to get through New Zealand customs back into the country. <laughs> but I did say to the customs officer, I'm the New Zealand Poet Laureate. And they were like, Makes all the difference. Oh, just go through. <laughs> <laughs> so I, this is two pieces, or it can be one piece. It breaks down into four, so I can travel with it. Um, tonight I fly off to Dublin, the elder of Matahiwi Marae, Tom, Mo Tom Mulholland, when he heard that I was going to Ireland, said, 
this is so meant to be, that is where I papa from, Mulholland, of course. And so the first kind of international country, apart from Australia, I don't really count them as international, <laughs> um, is, is going to be Ireland. And each part has an amazing story, but suffice it to say that Two wonderful Māori um, weavers gave me some moka. This is the fine, um, stripped-back heart of the harakeke. So I'd given Jacob wound-up moka. I'd given him the fuē. I'd given him stones from my grandfather's whale in Elisefo, from his whale that's still standing there. And I gave him stones from the Robert Louis Stevenson tomb on the top of Mount Vaya, because he is the other Tusitala part of this equation. And then um, Jacob carved the story in there, and he's carved me holding the tokotoko on a tightrope. So I said, am I surfing? He goes, you're on the tightrope. And um, clinging to my left thigh is my husband, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> He loves that. <laughs> and our three sons are in the wind behind us. And ahead of us, sparked off by the tokotoko, are various figures. And Jacob said, I have called this tokotoko the Tusitala Kapura. And he said, because you're not a spark anymore. And I cried when he said this. He said, you're not a spark anymore. You are the long, slow-burning flame. And to me, that, that was kind of the best recognition for where I currently am today as, as the, the laureate. Um, very moving to receive this, and I'm, I continue to tell its story. I'm working on a sequence called the Toko Toko Tales. And what this does is, and I give this out to audience members um, to touch and to feel and it just, for me, it's a material poem, and it gives access, because anyone can touch it. And that's what I believe, too. Anyone can make a poem. That's basically at the heart of it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. It's not quite as tall as you, though, is it? It's not quite, but I, you know, I spoke, to, I spoke to 2,000 school students here gathered at Aotea Centre for um, the festival's schools program, and I told them the story about how, you know, when I was at Primers, I used to be teased about my hair. And you know how mean kids can be? So I was called Mophead. And, you know... Your difference makes the difference. And when you're young, all you want to be is the same. And we had an old wooden cotton-headed mop at home. Do you guys know the, the yeah, one? Not the best. With the, uh, with. So I would dance with this mop on my driveway. And I would look at it thinking, I wish I had the kind of hair that went like that. You know, <laughs> instead of kind of stuck up. Because I didn't know about hair products. We couldn't, you know, we didn't, it just was a big frizz. And um, I said to the kids, but that difference has made the difference as I've embraced it. And my hair has become part of my poetic identity. And now, all these years later, to be presented with 
and another mop of <laughs> But this time holding all this mana and this power. And so that's what I left the students with. I said, take that thing that makes you stand out and really own it. That's the root of your power. Yeah. Lovely. Um, we've only got about two minutes before we're going to take questions from the audience. So um, what I really want to know is, did the guys from the, or maybe the women, I don't know, from the Secret Service wear sunglasses like, like you expect when, <laughs> when you hang out with Obama? So, <laughs> so Air New Zealand approached me and asked if I would um, MC the Obama event. And um, I am not afraid to say that that happened because of this very slight blonde who is sitting in the front row of this theatre. Pam Ford, would you stand up and please... Yes, I really want you to. Will you stand up and please... Um, Do a little dance. Take a bow. <laughs> because this woman... Stand up, stand up. Can we clap, Pam? Because Pam was seated around a table um, of, of men, Pākehā men, and they were discussing um, who they could get to, to MC a privately funded event um, to host the 44th President of the United States, the first black President of the United States, Barack Obama. And Pam had said, you, it has to be Selena because we need a woman, we need a woman of colour and we need creativity. So without her voice being around that table, you might have had Adam. <laughs> um, you I'm counting the slights. I was expecting many more. It's only, we're only up to two. And so as the MC, I, was, I, I got to meet and have a photo taken with um, President Obama. But it was so funny because it was highly organised and um, I'm, I'm standing there in this little cordoned off area and there's a row of VVIPs who knew there were very, very important people, but <laughs> there are. And um, I was shown to the front of the line. I, I passed my Vice-Chancellor, Stuart, and I went, doodles. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's here. <clears throat> And so I am standing there, and we've been instructed the, at the photographer's queue, I will go, I will stand against a backdrop where the US flag and the New Zealand flag are tilted, and Obama will just step out from behind the curtain. I stand, click, a smile, click, and then move off. And so I was standing there like this, like really excited like this, and then suddenly like one blue suit comes out from across the hall, and he sees me, and he sees what I'm holding, and then he disappears, and then two blue suits come <laughs> out of the curtain, and then suddenly there are four, and they're all furiously speaking into the headset, and it's like they've suddenly seen that I have been concealing a weapon of some <laughs> kind. And I just thought, you know, you dare. Like, I, I really like, you dare take this off. And they were like this, one took one step, the photographer goes, go, and I was like, <laughs> and so I introduced Obama to the Matua Toko Toko, which is the 
parent talko talko that is presented to each incoming poet laureate right, right. sits behind the glass case at the National Library. Right. Yes. So the talko talko has mana and, and so do you, Selena. Thank you so much for your Thank stories you. and your Thank poems. You. And uh, round of applause, I think. Great. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from the 2018 Auckland Writers' Festival. You can find a range of other festival talks, interviews and discussions on iTunes and SoundCloud and on our website, writersfestival.co.nz.